Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It is Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, we're thankful that uh, we've been here now for almost three years, and uh, we have a, a different panel this week. Jorna Taylor is not with us. She'll be back next week. Uh, we hope Jorna has a good Thanksgiving, but uh, we have a special panelist this week, and that is Kevin Kane. Kevin Kane is an organizer, lead organizer here at Citizen Action. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Morning, Matt. Kevin's been with us before, and I think as a lot of people know, Kevin's uh, in particular healthcare expert. We'll talk more about that, but first I want to introduce Robert Craig, our executive director. Robert. Uh, good morning, everyone. And happy Thanksgiving again to everyone. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, Kevin plays a leading role in our healthcare work, and so we wanted to have a conversation this Thanksgiving about healthcare because, quite frankly, it's at a really sort of critical stage. And we talk a lot about healthcare here at Citizen Action, and we have talked in particular about how public opinion is really starting to shift on the Affordable Care Act, and folks are really now not wanting to see this thing repealed. They're kind of tired of this old battle, but yet it's Thanksgiving and word in the news is uh, the House Congressional Caucus is going to come extraordinarily hard again. I believe it's the thousandth time, I believe, to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act, although everybody understands it's going nowhere. So Kevin, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about, obviously given this sort of tectonic shift that's going on and we are in the middle of a new open enrollment, um, why this is this period is so important, both as it relates to us getting people signed up, but also continuing the push to make sure that we expand access to affordable health care. Thanks, Matt. I actually have a running uh, question that we're going to have uh, for Thanksgiving this year, and I'm sure many people who are listening to this podcast are going to have this too. Without bringing it up, I want to see at my Thanksgiving if Obamacare is going to be brought up first or ISIS, and I'm really not sure which of the two is going to come up. That's but a, you, got a, you got an interesting house. There yes, you go. yes. So I'm just going to wait and see what it is. But I'm guessing I am not the only one who's going to be talking about the Affordable Care Act, health care reform, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or whatever holiday you celebrate. So we want to make sure that uh, you know you're up to date with everything that's going on in health care and. Um, I'll be honest, I've been following the health care reform debate for some time. I can't keep track of how many times they've tried to repeal this darn it's thing. It's a thousand. The, sure. Why not? Um, just just throw a number out there, and you're probably right. Uh, but we want to make, you know, it's pretty clear. And if you really ask somebody, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever met someone who truly believes it can be repealed anymore, that this is not going anywhere. And now the open question is, how do you make it better? Everybody's got ideas on how you improve health care. How do you make it um cover prescription drugs or dental or out-of-pocket costs, and good, that's a conversation I want to have with you. That's a conversation we want to have because we want to be the proactive reformers and, and figure out how to make it better because right now we are in the third uh, open enrollment, the final open enrollment before the next presidential election. Uh, by the way, this time next year, uh, Obamacare will have a very different uh, connotation to it because, uh, you know, uh, there'll be a new incoming president, at, uh, and Obama won't have the same sort of emotional charge. And uh, a lot of people will say, you know, hey, Obamacare's not that bad. I got it, and thanks, Obama. So, you know, this is a, a good time to make sure everyone is covered, because right now they can go get signed up at healthcare.gov, uh, in person with help, over the phone. And so when you're talking about open enrollment and healthcare and Obamacare generally and, and with your family, it's really important to because, hey, you got to remind them to actually get covered. There are mm -hmm. still 
over 380,000 people that we know, you know, that we're aware of in Wisconsin who don't have coverage but are eligible. So we need to all do our part and remind them to get covered. Robert? So we should be giving thanks that this is the third open enrollment. Uh, and, you know, for the third time, uh, almost everyone has somewhere to go get affordable health coverage no matter what, and they can't be denied coverage based on pre-existing conditions. And this is a huge sea change in American history. Before this, if you had a health condition, if you didn't have good insurance at work, you literally were on your own unless the insurance companies decided you were a good profit risk which is an appalling thing because access to healthcare has to do with life, liberty, pursuit of the happiness, everything else, I mean, in, in the 21st century. So we should give thanks for that, but we should be aware that yet another repeal attempt is coming. Mm -hmm. uh, but the whole situation has been shifting. You see the conservative strategy of claiming it was the end of the world and like going bonkers um, and polarizing and making it a political issue uh, when, quite frankly, President Obama did try to do a bipartisan healthcare bill that just was no partisans on the other side to work with at the end of the day, uh, that this strategy has is backfiring now because the public, even a lot of the public that was convinced of the lies and misinformation about the Affordable Care Act, is sick of it. And, and, and in fact, if you do dial-tested polling when you talk about repeal and replace, it tanks. People don't want to hear it anymore, and people are tired about cost. And we know that the Affordable Care Act uh, was a step forward, but didn't do nearly enough about cost. So now, of course, the, the uh, saboteurs, uh, the far right in this country, will continue to say, it's Obamacare's fault, it's Obamacare's fault, when in fact it's the their endless Northern Ireland-like pursuit of repeal, and it's states that move forward, like Minnesota, they're doing better, and states like Wisconsin and the sabotage wing that are doing much worse. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of things the state legislator ought to be doing in Wisconsin and the governor to move beyond the ridiculous debate that we should go back to the age of discrimination and move forward and start to bring high costs under, uh, um, under control, which are as big a threat to coverage as, as, as lack of legal access to coverage. Yeah, and you know, obviously I was joking about the number of thousand, but it gets to the whole point, right? I think there's a fatigue here with this failed strategy of constantly, Robert, you call it Northern Ireland, just refusing to accept that we need to move on. And, and so, again, it gets back to open enrollment. The more people we can get signed up, the more people that actually get coverage, this becomes just much more real tangible. It's about people's lives. It's less political, um, and it gets it gets it harder for them when they do these repeals, where it becomes less and less popular. Robert, you mentioned the polling. It is very important because we are heading into a to an election year and a presidential election. That, quite frankly, this is going to be one of those defining issues because it um, they've they've decided to make it that way, um, where the more people that are signed up, the more we continue to make this unpopular, the harder it is going to be for them to make it an election issue or keep it one that they can take all the way to the end here. And hopefully, uh, no matter what happens, right, that this issue can we can push forward and get to the costs, right, which, Kevin, uh, I want to get your response on this. This is still a big issue, right? And it's, it's an issue that, you know, no matter whether we've expanded access, um, needs to be addressed, and it's probably where we need to look in the future, I would assume. I mean, it's kind of uh, sad that we have all these votes to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but I can't point to one vote in our state legislature to try to address the cost of health care in this state. We are continuing to be one of the most expensive states in the nation. Your friends and family who live in Minnesota and Illinois and elsewhere 
are not paying the same as what you are for the exact same plan. And there has to be a reason for this. We need to get to the bottom of why this is. We at Citizen Action think it's a variety of things. Yes, there's underlying medical costs and negotiations with providers. Aurora's got a lot of sway, of course. But there's clear public policy things, things that our state did or didn't do um, that has an impact on it, whether it's you know the fact that we don't review uh, do rate review to review high health insurance rate increases and actually make sure they're real, uh, whether you know we've not truly tried to address prescription drug costs, you know the fact that we have states like Illinois who are extending coverage to people who are undocumented to make sure that you know it doesn't matter what the citizenship status of someone who goes to an emergency room and is un- unable to pay, we all end up paying that bill it gets pushed on everyone else. So we need to make sure that everybody, no matter what, every human being has access to some form of affordable care. Other states are, we're falling behind. And because of which, we're paying a heck of a lot more for health care. What you're seeing is deductibles, right, yeah. Kevin? Uh, deductibles are up 46% or is 47% in Wisconsin uh, this this year, and uh, they're fl- relatively flat in Minnesota, right? So when people complain about deductibles, the right is going to say, oh, it's Obamacare's fault. No, it's whether or not you're willing to move forward and improve the health care system and focus on cost and whether you want to fight this ridiculous ideological fight the right wants to fight endlessly to try to repeal a law that has to stay and that we need to build on. Kevin, Kevin you mentioned rate review. That may be a bit of a buzzword. Could you help explain people why that's so important, especially relative to what Robert just mentioned? Shout out to Senator Larson and Representative Colsty for sponsoring a really good rate review. Because this is going to be something that we're going to really want to push, I assume, going forward in the next year. So make sure folks understand what rate review is. I think we all accept that we can't just accept insurance companies at their word that they're going to, you know, raise rates uh, and not try to, you know, push costs on consumers when given the chance. I, I don't think anyone's really believed that. Healthcare, and we, we've talked to a lot of people who are convinced that hospitals, insurance companies, and drug companies are, are all colluding against us to make healthcare costs far more. How much can we get of the pie? And rate review is just a tool that most states have to make sure that that doesn't happen to make sure that if an insurance company wants to raise their rates at a very large amount, they have to give public justification why. They have to say, uh, this is going up for the following reasons. And if they are not justified, if they are not excessive, um, then we'll have that conversation. But if they are unjustified, excessive, we need to have the ability to say to push back and say that this is too expensive, this is too high. But at the very least, we need to know. Because well, what United Healthcare pays Aurora versus what they pay Wheaton, I can't tell you. And uh, that's not public, and we need to find that out. And we've been doing it for utilities, right, since 1907. So why do we require utilities to have their rates actually improved, right, and actually go through a public process and denied if they're not justified? Because if you don't have heat, if you don't have electricity, uh, these are ne- basic necessities. In fact, it's an mm, issue of, of, of life and liberty. Health insurance is equally vital. Uh, some would say, oh, well, it's not a, a regulated monopoly like utilities. But I'm sorry, the consumer has no freaking leverage whatsoever. In fact, Kevin, isn't the number of consumers you mean that 7% of medical bills are even shoppable? That's the number that they're finding. Yeah. Like, you know, when more than 90 cents of every dollar that's spent on healthcare is not decided by you, not decided by the consumer, you can't shop around when you're in an ambulance with a heart attack. This is decided by your doctor, your hospital, your insurance company, the drug company. And because of all of this, Anything that says we need to put more skin in the game for consumers is not going to work. And there's a great feature of the, uh, the Larson-Kulsty bill that hasn't got as much of attention as the other parts of the bill. It says if an insurance company can justify its rate increase, in other words, if they say, look, our medical costs went up this much, then what has to happen is they have to report what medical costs increased so that you can say, okay, if it's not the insurance company, it's Aurora. 
or it's Mayo, or it's Marshfield, or it's any of major, the, the major health systems. So in other words, uh, it, this is a way to start to get at cost. We, if the insurance companies can prove they're not the problem, great. Then they get to charge the rate and we move on to what the, what the problem is, prescription drug costs, uh, hospital costs, doctor costs, specialist costs, right. medical device costs, what have you. So this is a vital reform because it gets us away from the shell game where everyone points at each other, but uh, unit prices keep dramatically going up each and every year. So, so Kevin, while you're here before, before we lose you, I wanted to get your response to something that I see as a big problem and maybe you can help, help me out this. So a lot of people I talk to, the biggest thing, and it, it seems directly related to what we're talking about, is this idea where you have no control over what those costs are. And quite frankly, what I feel like people I talk to experience all the time is that they come home from work, they open up the mailbox, there's a bill in there for some trip that they did for some basic medical procedure, and it has like just shocking costs associated with it. And quite frankly, it's, you know what's next. You have to track down this procedure, try to figure out why this cost, and it's quite frankly bewildering, and it seems to me like a problem that needs to be addressed. I don't, you know, get your thoughts on this. I mean, we've heard it referred to as surprise medical bills. I actually don't think it's a, a strong enough word for it. These things are outright shocking. When you open the, the mail and you're like, oh, my God, this bill is far higher than we negotiated, far higher than I was expecting. Um, when, when you thought you were in in-network hospital and it turns out the doctor was out of network or the lab that your, your test went to was suddenly out of network, you don't need to be told and you just end up paying the consequences. You could have done everything right. You could have been the best consumer in the world, and this is being brought upon you. This is beyond insurance. This is about how the healthcare system is just inefficient and doesn't work together and isn't streamlined to make sure that you are healthy and you pay the smallest amount possible. We need to address this. We want to make sure that this is a major piece of uh, trying to you know, make healthcare truly affordable. It's not just about premiums. It's not just about deductibles. It's making sure that you are not left with the bill when you did nothing wrong. And we want to make sure that whether it's state legislation that has to happen or, um, you know, pushing providers to make sure they don't do this, but it's more likely to be uh, federal or state legislation to make that happen. We need to protect consumers from a Wild West marketplace that the Affordable Care Act did a lot to, to regulate insurance companies and bring them in and make sure the insurance companies play fairly. That's what the law does. We did not do nearly as well of a job of making sure that hospitals, providers, and drug companies are required to follow those same standards that insurance companies are. I mean, most of us have heard the rule, 80 cents of every dollar for health insurance must be spent in actual medical care. There's no same similar requirement for drug companies or hospitals. We need to make sure your money is actually used on actual health care, and you're not given a giant bill that you shouldn't have gotten. And we won't let a cats out of bags, but uh, expect legislation in this area next year. The question is whether there's any dance partners on the other side. Okay, somebody please put that cat back in the bag that's running around this, <laughs> screaming oh, or running around the office. Now, there's basically a cat loose in the office most of the time, but anyway. So, Kevin, uh, before, okay, I lied. I got one more question for you. Before, before you go, um, you're also our lead organizer here at Citizen Action, and, and we've had a tremendous year in terms of activism and, and members taking action here. And um, we have an annual uh, meeting every year, and we now have a tradition of uh, awarding activists. So we have a contest that I need you to tell, tell our listeners about. and we need, the, we need their help. We need you to get involved. We at Citizen Action believe that uh, the work that people do around the state to make Wisconsin a better place to live and work 
whether it's for um, getting somebody elected or fighting for a policy change or really just trying to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks is, is really important. It's really it's thankless work sometime, and we want to change that. We want to thank you, and we want to make sure that every person who has uh, gone out of their way in any area of the state gets recognized for the work that they do. So a few years ago, we started giving awards to uh, members and activists around the state who have really just gone above and beyond. And last year, we actually changed that so people around the state from any walk of life, whether they work with Citizen Action on our campaigns or not, could recognize those that have. And last year, we had people from all over the state who have been active in Burnett County and Marathon County and Dane County and, you know, recognizing those people for all the different work that they've done, whether it's on healthcare with us or whether it's on trying to address environmental concerns somewhere else, whatever it be. And for the second year in a row, we're doing it again. We are right now, you can go to Citizen Action's website. We'll make sure that it's very prominent on the homepage uh, that you can nominate somebody for a, uh, a progressive member of the year award and we will recognize that person at our um, annual meeting on December 11th in Milwaukee. We'll have details on that soon. Uh, we will recognize every person who's nominated, but we want to give a special award to the person who everyone agrees has truly gone above and beyond. And so we are having a voting period that will start on Sunday, uh, November 29th, and it will run until December 4th, where people can uh, electronically vote. You don't have to be a regular member of Citizen Action, but you can electronically vote for the people who have uh, been nominated to win this award or even nominate a new person. But the person with the most votes online by December 4th will be publicly recognized and given an award at our annual meeting for the fantastic work they've done that others have seen truly matters to make Wisconsin better. So, Kevin, let me be clear here because um, we're recording Wednesday morning, and this should go up Wednesday night, and so most people will be listening to this Thursday or Friday. If you would like to make a nomination, that nomination needs to be in by when? Saturday? When When do you need that in by in order for, for them to be in the contest that starts on Sunday, I believe? The, the, the voting will start Sunday, but you can continue to nominate people up until the last day of voting. You'll be at a disadvantage because you got to catch up on votes, but you can continue to nominate someone till the end of voting. Voting is from Sunday... Uh, November 29th to Friday, December 4th. The actual um, announcement of the award will be on December uh, 11th at our annual meeting, uh, but we will recognize every person who has been nominated, at least briefly, and we hope that they can all be there in person. And, and Kevin, am I correct in saying we'd like to see a lot of unsung heroes nominated? Absolutely. So Russ Feingold's great, but people love Russ already. There are other people in our state who are doing great work that haven't yeah. been recognized. So nominate who you will, but don't just think about you know the most prominent people. Last year, uh, one of our members, Eleanor Wolf from Eau Claire, who had been really active in the Badger Care minimum wage referendums that we were active in, uh, received a ton of votes from people across the state, but especially the Chippewa Valley. And it you know, proved to us that people who do the fantastic work to make Wisconsin great are seen as doing so by other people and want to be recognized and thanked. And so we want to help make that happen. So please get your recommendations in. I would say you better get it in by Sunday or Good luck winning this uh, stiff competition. And Jorna, I know you're listening. You may not be here, but uh, George is not eligible in this contest, so don't even think about it. So, Kevin, thanks a lot for coming and, and joining us. I know you got to run. Uh, you've got, uh, got some work to go do, so we really appreciate it and uh, want to thank you for joining us, and have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening. So, Robert... We're going to do a, just a quick runaround of a couple of issues and uh, wrap this podcast up. But uh, we wanted, I want to talk a little bit about the Kohler strike. 
Um, we mentioned, uh, we talked about this last week. In fact, we had uh, the former president of the local up there to give us details about the history of the Kohler strike and what's at stake. Um, huge turnout last Saturday. Um, I, I got a chance to get up there in the afternoon after the major event had happened, but got the chance to talk to a number of the workers up there, and they were super energized. Uh, one of them told me there were well over a 1,000 people um, and the street was incredibly crowded, and uh, it means a lot to those workers. I could just tell talking to them. Um, and folks, this ain't going to be short. Um, at least it's not going to be solved uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, there's been zero negotiations that have gone on to certainly nothing that's been public. Um, and there is no expectation that that's going to happen until after Thanksgiving. So um, please continue to make your donations uh, to to the uh, local or in that what they're really looking for is both monetary donations but also food non-perishable food items things for babies diapers formula things like that um you know we're talking some of these workers uh you know they're it's tough getting by even when you're getting a paycheck so uh, anything you can do to help uh, during the thanksgiving period including going out to the pickets these folks are going to be there. They're there 24 hours a day. So while we may have big rallies occasionally for them, it, it means a lot to go stop by and hang out with them for a couple hours, uh, especially with the cold that's going on. Um, so really want to encourage it. Again, we'll have the, uh, the address of the UAW Hall on the website uh, up there in Sheboygan. And the big issue is a two-tiered contract. So the whole corporate strategy now is to have the young workers come in without real, real living wage jobs. And in fact, they have massive turnover uh, for the tier B, as they call it, workers, because they're not, they're not very well-paid jobs. They don't have good health benefits, et cetera. So this is all the workers standing up. Some are very close to retirement and doing fine as far as their contract who feel like they want to protect the future of, of work. And, 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 you know, obviously the Kohler uh, plants have had a huge impact historically on the economy up there in the Sheboygan area and the, the and northeast Wisconsin, and so uh, this is about this is this is this is as much a fight for a living wage as the fight for fifteen is. So again, folks, uh, during the Thanksgiving holiday, please go up there and hey, so people know there's it's not just one plant up there. There is a second plant. The uh, workers actually call it the Country Club, uh, where at least a couple hundred uh, workers are, and it's near the lake on the eastern side of town. And so there's picketers there at Three Gates, and it can get a little lonely out there. So go visit those folks, too, um, uh, this Thanksgiving. Actually, shout out to my son. He is uh, doing a service project for his high school, and he's collecting food donations throughout our neighborhood. Uh, so if you live in Milwaukee and you can't get to Kenosha and don't want or can't get up to uh, Kohler, please stop by our house, uh, 3158 North Humboldt Boulevard, and just drop food off there on the porch. We'll be taking it up this weekend. So, Robert, there's other news, speaking of unions and workers organized. Um, updates, uh, Act 10. As I think everybody knows, Act 10 requires that all the public employee unions have to recertify their unions every year. Every year. And they have to get a majority of all the members, something a politician does <laughs> not achieve in any election. That's mostly. right. So it's not just 50% of who shows up, although good news, 
uh, educators in both uh, Milwaukee and Madison are showing up in overwhelming numbers, so large turnouts at the polls and overwhelming support for their unions, over 70% uh, in Milwaukee and over 80% in, uh, in, in Madison. Uh, so, you know, obviously Act 10 has not uh, killed the unions in those areas, and I'm sure there's elections going on around the state. And uh, so uh, shout out in solidarity to all those unions who are going through their recertifications um, in Act 10. So one other thing uh, that we definitely want to mention is, again, WEDEC. Uh, this week, well, WEDEC has a new CFO, Robert. It's the sixth one. That I think that's that's going to be a success. I, I heard really good things. I was reading the newspaper report, and this fella sounds fantastic. I really think he's going to turn it around. Robert, your thoughts? I don't know. It's like it's like if the Titanic had six captains. Oh come on! I mean, it's still the six Titanic. Six times right? is it's still... a charm. You get a six pack, right? That six beards. Well, the best one. Once the Titanic hit an iceberg, it wasn't seaworthy, and so. <laughs> Uh, if we want to view this from a standpoint of are we creating middle-class jobs, we have a legitimate strategy to do so because we're, we're losing middle-class jobs at a, at, a, at a startling rate and only adding uh, low-wage, poverty-wage jobs. And by the way, we're still way behind on jobs themselves, but then they're, they're bad jobs, right? They have no strategy, so this, this ship won't sail. Uh, that's why you have to tear Weedek down. And so I do want to praise uh, Peter Barca and Julie Lassa in the Senate and the Assembly for at least creating a framework where they are saying repeal and replace and have started to sketch out what a new agency would look like and how you would split it up, et cetera. I think the next big step we all need to focus on, and this isn't in the framework yet, is what is our economic strategy to make sure that we are only making evidence-based investments that are the most likely to produce the most economic opportunity for people in Wisconsin, especially in the areas that most need them? Why would we be investing more in Waukesha County uh, a very rich county, than Milwaukee County, because there is no strategy. Why do we endure, Why do we give money to companies that are outsourcing? It's not an administrative issue where we can't track it. No, they want to give money to companies that are outsourcing jobs or or have a net loss in jobs, which is what we saw with um, uh, with, with with John Deere, right? Uh, in Janesville and Horicon, because the goal is not to create good jobs, because this is our money. That's the only reason you should hand out money to a corporation. Otherwise, they have no right to public money, right, unless they're doing a public good. They think that if we showered gifts upon to corporate CEOs without standards and accountability, that will help the economy. And we need to get through that ridiculous concept. And there are all too many um, average folks who believe that because they haven't been offered another theory of the economy. No one's talking about the fact that if you take money out of people's pockets and they don't spend in their own community, uh, then that drives the economy down and you, leave, and you have job loss. And so remember, Walker talked about all the savings in Act 10. Remember that? Well, the savings in Act 10 came, out, came right out of all of the communities across Wisconsin, okay? And, that, and Act 10 is one of the reasons that we have one of the worst jobs performance in the country, right? So paying teachers a good wage, attracting the best teachers, guess what? That not only is good for education, good for our kids, it's good for the economy. And what the right doesn't understand, and I, I really want to see all Democrats, uh, uh, a lot of them do a good job, but can get more and more aligned on this, and we need to repeat it over and over again, right, that economic growth comes from average people. 
having money in the economy, right, to spend money in their local communities. And it needs to be understood and repeated over and over again. This is trickle-down economics, and it's failing again. The WIDEC grants are not trickling down. Yep. That is uh, never truer words were said. Want to give a shout-out to the Cap Times, who had a fantastic editorial, really, quite frankly, calling upon finding legislators on the other side, right, Republicans, to, to, to fix this, that this is so disastrous that we need to get this done. And, and the public is there. I mean, they're, they're, they're so there. I, when we first started talking about this, Robert, we would post this stuff on Facebook, and it would get almost zero pickup. Nobody really understood it. Post this Cap Times editorial. It's like wildfire. It's been up for two hours, and there's it's all kinds of shares and activity. Folks are starting to get it, and we need to stay on the offensive. And I want to remind people, yeah. please check out our economic opportunity agenda because it's not about necessarily WEDEC. We need to use the opportunity of the WEDEC scandal to essentially talk about what an agenda ought to look like. And It's, there's beyond, ten, it's there's, beyond WEDEC. That's right. There are 10 points on that agenda. It is a simple very simple kind of concept of some th basic things we ought to be doing. It doesn't solve all of the problems, but I want to encourage folks to go look at that. And, uh, you know, Brian will provide the link uh, uh, on the podcast email in the podcast section. So the thing here is this. I want to make perfectly clear. A lot of times we get um, essentially accused of being partisan, that we're just trying to help the Democrats. And we are in a situation in American history now where all the progressives happen to be Democrats. It didn't used to be the case. We would love if there were progressive Republicans. There aren't, right? In fact, any even moderately independent Republican who was good on a couple issues have been driven out of the state assembly and the state senate and the caucus. Or are there folks like the Lion of Ripon, Luther Olson, who roar at the beginning of debates and then and then roll over and vote the right way. So I'm not saying that returning to the Doyle status quo. Uh, was a great thing for the state. The great decline in the, in the Wisconsin middle class, the steepest decline in, in the United States, started in 2000. So it includes the Doyle era. So the Department of Commerce was able to follow basic rules, could track who was supposed to get what and what the federal and state rules were, but they didn't have a great economic development strategy either. And the, the gift of WEDEC is, WEDEC has made economic development, which is quite frankly one of the main businesses of government right now, state and local. It's made it uh, a top-tier issue, and people are kind of picking up the rocks and seeing all the critters running un run running underneath the rocks. And so this is the, we got to make use of. They talked about during the Great Recession, it, uh, you you shouldn't waste a crisis. We can't waste the Weedek scandal. Oh, Just tarring Republicans with a political scandal around Weedek is not the point here, unless we get a serious economic development strategy and oxygen for such a strategy out of it. Yeah, look, this is the reason I said this was such an arcane topic is. You rarely given a gem platform like this to be able to really have a conversation with the electorate as you're heading into a presidential election where you can really start to talk and lay out what it would look like if you were to actually have a progressive agenda. So hopefully, folks, uh, we will continue to make progress on this. And I want to harken back a little. Remember the venture capital debate, Matt? I I certainly do. And that's where, you know, Wisconsin is like near the bottom, if not dead last, in entrepreneurialism. So the idea was to put money in charge of an with an investment manager who would make investments that would help, right, which is all well and good. Other states do it. But it was framed as a jobs program, yeah, right? But there was nothing in it that said any of the investments were in all, in all, at all related to what would produce the most jobs or the best jobs or anything like that. 
And there was a simple amendment we worked on uh, with Sater Hansen and Sater Larson, and that was uh, this ought to be reasonable for all sides. It said it said simply that the inv independent investments manager, some Wall Street finance type that we hire, right, would have to use uh, the amount of jobs and the quality of jobs created as one of the criteria. Now you could we can't do that, Robert. You could drive. You, you they, that. he could decide to go another criterion. He or she, probably a he, right? And so, unfortunately, so it went down, right, by party line vote. So the Republicans don't even believe that in their jobs bill, right, venture capital, which they framed as a jobs bill, that jobs should be one of the criteria. When you see the headlines, Walker's Troubled Jobs Agency, we kind of like that, but it's not a jobs agency. No. It's a corporate welfare agency. <laughs> and so it needs to become a jobs agency. Actually, a new thing has to become a jobs agency. And I do like Matt mentioned the Cap Times editorial. Uh, they point out that it appears that Governor Walker is as inept as he appeared in the presidential campaign <laughs> and that and he has a, among the lowest approval rings in the whole country for any governor. And at what point are any members of his own party in the legislature, ones who are thinking of becoming governor like Robin Voss, going to try to divest themselves uh, from this, uh, from this uh, declining stock because the sell order is on Scott Walker's stock and has been since the pl presidential campaign implosion. Look, Voss is already on record as saying this is a disaster, right? He's not anywhere where he. We, I'm sure we'd want him he on. Wants to be governor, right? What he would create, but it's an opportunity. So, with that, we want to again wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. And uh, I always want to thank Brian Woolridge, who makes the uh, podcast possible. And as always, uh, thanks to uh, Kevin Kane, who joined us, uh, our lead organizer here, to talk a bit about healthcare. And again, want to encourage everyone uh, to uh, get out and vote for the activist of the year. And uh, as always, uh, we'll look forward and to having Jordan back next week. We don't need furloughs because this is the one time of the year that people kind of know, know what the furlough is. We yeah. know, we know yeah. what everyone's going to do. I'm trying to ingest as much turkey as possible uh, this weekend. Very much looking forward to it. We yeah. will be encouraging you, though, by the way, as a sneak preview on Black Friday, rather than uh, being uh, overly consumer-like, that uh, that gift gift uh, memberships assist in action are far better than standing in line. So we, we'll we'll be emailing that. We out. always we always appreciate any donations that folks can do, and if you do make a donation online, please feel free to you know notify that you're a podcast listener. We always like to like to see that. So with that, uh, uh, Brian Woolrich, you have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see everybody next week.